Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about nitrogen for soybeans. And this is always an interesting topic because I don't know what it is. Uh, a lot of folks are, are uh, willing to spend some money on nitrogen. They've seen what nitrogen can do in wheat and in corn and some of these other crops. Well, why not soybeans? Maybe soybeans need a little bit more. We're going to talk about that discussion today. We've got a bunch of questions that have come in here for the Ag PhD mailbag. Uh, if you have a question for us, our phone lines will be open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Got my brother Brian on the phone lines with us, doing a little running around yet. Uh, but Brian, I, I've always teased you about being a nitrogen addict. Uh, what about in soybeans? Uh, what What's your take on what we've learned so far? Okay, well, first of all, as to the nitrogen addict comment, I would say the last three years, we haven't done a good enough job getting enough nitrogen on our corn early enough in the season. So this is a lot of times the way life works, where you overdo something one way, and then you go too far in the extreme in the overcorrection. So nitrogen is unbelievably important for every crop, and soybeans need roughly five and a half pounds of nitrogen for every bushel. So it's a crazy amount of nitrogen they need. But the good news is you have nitrogen fixation. You also have nitrogen carryover a lot of times, nitrogen coming out of soil organic matter through mineralization. There are a lot of sources for nitrogen for soybeans. And where we find nitrogen applications to soybeans really pay, it's where you haven't had soybeans for ever or maybe quite a few years, or when you have, let's say, flooding or some kind of extreme condition. Otherwise, high yields, and really sandy, low organic matter soil. I mean, those are the times when nitrogen applications pay pretty well. And usually applying that nitrogen around early flowering, that's generally speaking the best. You know, when we look at dry land farming versus irrigated farming, heavy ground versus light ground, there are just so many variables out there that there it's impossible to make recommendations that are always going to work in every situation for every single farmer. And, and certainly there's guys right. that 40 bushel beans are a great yield for the year, and there's others that if they don't get 100, they're totally disappointed. So a lot of different situations out there. Yeah, but like I say, I mean, unless you're going for higher yields, or you've had some of these other conditions. Nitrogen on soybeans is not this thing where it's, oh my goodness, it's a home run like it is in, in corn or in wheat. And, you know, I, I do want to talk real quick though about there have been a lot of people going to corn as, as let, let's say their major crop or even their only crop. Like in our area, there were some guys that literally sold their combine bean head and they were going all corn for quite a few years. Well, as good as a soybean price has been lately and as high as corn input costs are, some people have gone back to beans. Well, if you've been corn for five years, eight years, 10 years, put a little nitrogen on for your soybeans. That usually does pay. So it, it I mean, even if you're in high organic matter ground and even if the ground hasn't flooded, it's really healthy soil and all that kind of stuff, it still could pay in those situations. Plus the fact that a lot of times we find if we've been in corn for five, eight, ten years, we can get tremendous soybean yields. Like 
80 plus bushel beans. And I'm not going to say it's easy, but it just doesn't seem that difficult. So, I mean, if you get everything else set up, your ground is built up pretty well. Nitrogen actually could be your yield limiting factor in those really high yield soybeans if you haven't had beans in there for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And I, I do find more times than not, it's something other than nitrogen's the real problem. Oh, yeah, and, for sure. For sure. And I don't know why. Why do folks want to spend money on nitrogen in there? It's harder to get a guy to spend money on a micronutrient or on building up a K level if he's at a certain parts per million, that kind of thing. Well, I think it's a couple of things. First of all, I, I just can tell you growing up on the farm, being in ag classes in high school, college, everything else, N, P, and K get talked about all the time. And when you see how nitrogen pays so well in corn and wheat and all these other crops, you hear people talk about, well, we need a lot of nitrogen in soybeans, and this could be a yield limiting factor for you. You just start thinking, well, I've already got nitrogen on the farm. I'm already putting some on. Yeah, what the heck? Let's just let's try a little bit. Whereas some of these micronutrients, like just as an example, boron, as soon as you say boron to like nine farmers or let's say 10 farmers, nine of them might respond with, well, isn't boron toxic to crops? And so there are a lot of misconceptions out there about that. And then also I would say when you read just published data out of the universities, a lot of them talk about, oh, micronutrients don't really pay. They don't pay in a lot of situations. Whereas when you read from those same universities, they'll say, oh, nitrogen, that pays really good. You don't have to put on so much maybe, but you absolutely want to put nitrogen on. So part of it is because we still are looking at yield goals and yield levels from 10, 15, 20 years ago. Because, I mean, just and not, I'm not trying to criticize universities or any researcher here, but what I am saying is if you're going to do a 10-year study, what were our yields 10 years ago? I mean, I got to be honest, I was embarrassed with our yields 10 years ago. I'm not today, but 10 years ago, they weren't where they are today. So when we're looking at data that's between, let's call it three and 10 years old, it's not the same as, as what my yield goal is three and 10 years from now. So it's very hard to be predictive with that kind of research. Yeah, and it's hard to adjust all the variables to, to make the data really meaningful exactly. for a huge percentage yep. of farmers. And, and that's one of the yep. big challenges. I, I know we see that on micronutrient studies all the time of, oh, we just tried adding boron, but we didn't fix the P and K shortages, or we didn't add any sulfur at all, and our crop was deficient, those kinds of things. So it, it's tough to know what to do, but we're going to talk nitrogen for soybeans today. Uh, also talk with some farmers who are doing it successfully and get some tips from them. And we'll be taking your calls and questions throughout at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Just because your combine is one brand doesn't mean its corn head should be the same, especially when it costs you yield. Drago corn heads are engineered to harvest more. Lowest profile saves ears, self-adjusting deck plates save kernels, longer knife rollers reduce trash, and aggressive gathering chains pick up stocks. No other corn head works like a Drago or pays you back like one. See more features and find your Drago dealer at dragotech.com. Did you know that more than 50 weed species will survive the winter? 
Get a jump start on spring with a fall burndown herbicide plan. Weed Control in Fall provides big benefits including more flexibility, less need for tillage, and a stronger start come planting. New Farm offers a strong lineup of proven herbicides to reduce the weed seed bank and protect your crop, from harvest to canopy. Go to newfarm.com slash uscrop slash fallburndown2022 to learn more. It came on a night like any other, with power unlike anything else on Earth. Using beyond advanced active ingredients like bicyclopyrone, Acuron GT post-emergence corn herbicide is here to annihilate tough weeds. Advanced technology, enhanced control. Talk to your Syngenta retailer about Acuron GT. Always read and follow label instructions. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition N Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about nitrogen for soybeans. And right away, you may think, wait a second. Uh, first of all, fertilizer is really expensive this year. I don't want to buy any more. And I haven't used nitrogen on my beans before. Why should I start now? Well, it's one of the things when you get high-yielding soybeans, we talk a lot about nodulation, how important that is. But can those nodules produce enough nitrogen for 40 bushel beans? I think they can. Can they produce enough for 100 bushel beans, though? That's where the question comes in. Uh, got Kevin Matthews with us right now with from North Carolina. He's with the Extreme Ag Group and, and uh, farms in North Carolina. Has some high-yielding soybeans under his belt, too. So, Kevin, what do you think about this nitrogen topic? Is that is that one that you would say most farmers should be looking at, or is it one that you'd say, uh, you got to be at a certain yield level before it makes sense? Yeah, I got to agree with you. Uh, I look at the yield level. If you're, you know, if you're farming in an area and 30 to 40 bushels is your, you know, that's, that's a good yield that you're happy with and economical for your farm, then I would say no, um, you know, just some real good inoculants and try to use as much natural uh, nitrogen fixation as you can from the plant but when you get above 70 bushels absolutely you need to start supplementing giving that plant some extra and and that's what our research has shown and that's you know we've applied it across our whole farm acres now and so it you know we was just cutting soybeans uh this past weekend and you know a lot of 90 and 100 bushel beans is just dry land non-irrigated and just absolutely amazing a really good farm and it did have good rainfall so it, it had all the all the pluses there and when we seen the potential we added foliar nitrogen uh to the to the crop above what we had already put because that farm traditionally does about 75 bushel so wow that's that's an awesome year yeah, we've been we've been blessed. Which now on the east side of where we farm, it's been very dry. But it's you know that's one 
you know, a lot of disadvantages to being spread out in these small fields, but it is an, an advantage when you minimize your weather risk. Yeah, that's for sure. Hey, now you mentioned foliar applying the N, and that's really one of the big questions that we get from other farmers is, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try some N out there. When do I put it on? Now, I'm assuming it might vary a little bit if you're in a dry situation or you're irrigated, if you're in light soils versus heavy soils. But considering the soils you've got where you farm in, in North Carolina, when do you make that judgment call? At reproduction or earlier? Or when When is it? We actually put it in at planting in a tube of two, uh, just like with our corn. And then we will come back, and, and we were using small amounts. We're not getting nothing excessive, being very efficient. And then as the weather permits and we got feel like we got potential, then we will start increasing on our non-irrigated acres through foliar applications. And uh, we're normally mixing other products with it, so we're kind of getting a better bang for a buck on our each pass. And then on our irrigated, now we will actually spoon feed because we're we know on our irrigated. Um, I think this has made the six year in a row we've been over a hundred bushels acre on our irrigated for the farm average. And um, so that's um, it's proven. We know we can do it. So we just. Uh, you know, now we're wanting to move that bar on up higher and, and say we average 125. But we we got a little more learning to do to get there. But, um, hey, it's, it's certainly doable, I believe. Yeah, it is pretty fun to just start stepping things up and, and seeing where you get to. And we're talking nitrogen today, but certainly that's not the only thing that Kevin's doing. If you've heard him on the show more than once or if you've heard him at our field day, uh, it's it's a big pro big process because in your area kevin what, what is average yield around uh traditionally if, if a man averaged 50 bushels he was pretty ecstatic and um you know everybody's doing a better job farming i mean the guys in the state are just doing a phenomenal job improving and i think that's coming up now these areas in the state that they got tough souls there and it, it's I mean, those guys, I pick at them, uh, you know, they're some of the best farmers in the world because they make a living farming basically on a desert sand, and uh, that's pretty impressive. But uh, so those guys, you know, they're going to be in that 35, 40 bushel range. But for us now, uh, you know, we, ex you know, our goal is to be 65 to 75 bushel average um, across the farm. We have double crop acres, and when I say that, I'm referring to we harvest our wheat in June, and we come right back and plant soybeans. Now, those will typically pull the farm average down, but we've actually started intensely managing those, and we're bringing them from a 40 to 50 bushel crop into that 50 to 60 bushel crop, and that helps the farm average when you can do that. But... Um, Yes, you know, North Carolina is a very diverse state, and you have a lot of different soil types, a lot of geographies, and and, and you get in the black lands, and you'd think you was in Iowa or somewhere in some black flat dirt, and it's just amazing the yields those guys do down there. Yeah, you know, they'll they'll be seventy, eighty bushel farm average. 
Yeah, a lot of variants in North Carolina, no doubt about that. So that's kind of why I brought this up, just different soil types and whatnot and different irrigation systems to try and manage around. But, man, you start yep. talking about irrigated ground well over 100, six years in a row. It's pretty fantastic. And and I love your rule of thumb there, 70-plus bushels, probably going to need some in. Uh, hey, Kevin, uh, I know you're busy. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks for all the tips today, and, and good luck to you. Stay safe here the rest of harvest. All right. Thank you guys for all you do for agriculture. I appreciate it, man. Oh, oh you bet. Thanks, Kevin. I really appreciate that. Uh, got Will Wynn on with us right now with Corteva. All right, Will, uh, we were talking about applying in, but it's kind of cool some of the things going on with these natural or biological type solutions. Uh, Nutrition, I know we've done a number of things on our farm on corn, but maybe we're missing the boat. Maybe we should be doing this on soybeans. Yeah, no, great. Thanks for having me, Darren. Uh, no, great call out from the, the caller before. And, you know, that's one piece. I think, uh, you know, the piece that we miss with Nutrition in really having a lot of trials out and just thinking about nitrogen and corn, right? Um, well, you know, we saw some pretty cool uh, responses here last year with uh, high-yield soybeans and caused us to investigate a little bit more in terms of, hey, is there something we can add to the, the mixture here with Nutrition and to really get another bump on these high-yield soybean acres? All right. Now, you mentioned high-yield. Is this something that you would do in any soybeans, or is there a certain break-even where you say, you know what, if you're at a certain yield level, your return on investment's a little bit better? You know, I think uh, the, the color before, you know, when we, when we look at it, you know, right, right around that 65 bushel mark is where, you know, you can start seeing, depending upon the soil type, rainfall, mineralization, obviously a lot of factors. But when we look at it, you know, we, when you get above 65, 70 bushel, you know, you're going to look at needing some additional in, you know, upwards of 30 pounds. And then when you get to 80, you know, possibly even up to 80 to 100, even 60 additional pounds of in for that soybean crop. So, you know, I'd say that 70 bushel is, is a pretty good range. That's when we really start talking about where um, the ROI is. When we start looking at Nutrition Ann with the, with the yield increases in the Corteva trials last year, we saw a 3.2 bushel uh, per acre advantage with Nutrition Ann in 80-plus yield environments. Very interesting. Okay, talk to our listeners about how does Nutrition Ann work? Yep. No, so very simply, Nutrition Ann is, a, is basically it's, it's a biological. Um, it's a naturally occurring, so methylbacterium is uh, the exact bacterium, and it pulls nitrogen or nitrogen gas into out of the atmosphere and converts it over in the plant into usable ammonium nitrogen. So very simply, after you apply it, it takes about 10 days for that bacterium to colonize that plant and start pulling that into into the soybean plant, in this case, and converting it over to ammonium nitrogen. When we think about a natural-type product like this, where where is your best bet for uh, applying that? Because I, I know guys are like, man, I could do it like this, I could do it like that. Do you have something you've kind of honed in on that you say this is the absolute best way to do it for soybeans? Yep, nope, great question, Darren. You know, uh, starting this out, you know, we, we were targeting at R4 uh, to R8, I'm sorry, excuse me, V4 to V8 uh, stage. Um, you know, that was uh, a little bit early in, in our opinion. Then obviously when you're mixing a lot of these naturally occurring bacteriums with other harsher chemistries, um, they may not play well together in terms of viability and getting maximum colonization. Um, we've done a, a ton of tests as far as which products um, can be biocompatible and essentially you know, ensure that that bacterium can live in the spray solution until it gets on the plant and inoculates that plant. So we look at essentially a stage. You know, We've learned here over the course of the last 18 months that that R1 to R3 stage of soybeans is probably the sweet spot a little bit. Yeah, it is. Oh, sorry, Will. Uh, hey, we're up against a commercial break. Can you hold on for just a minute, Will? We'd love to bring you back right after this break. We're talking nitrogen in soybeans, and we'll be right back. 
When nematode pressure mounts, seed-applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler Fungicide unleashes multiple modes of action for proven, broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. Start protecting your territory at agbiome.com howler. Did you know 20% of stored corn is often overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for less with the end zone for corn from Farm Shop MFG, specially priced at $1,800 per unit while supplies last. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking nitrogen for soybeans. Just before the break, and we ran out of time here, we were talking with Will Wynn with Cortev, and I wanted to give Will just a little bit more time. I had a couple more questions. Uh, Will, you're just kind of finishing up on the, the timing. and uh, A couple things here. First of all, uh, I, I want to comment on this because you mentioned the harsh things that natural products often get tank mixed with. I don't know anybody that's done any more work than Corteva's done on this. It's been pretty interesting to see uh, all the different products that you've looked at and some that kind of surprised me that you said, don't mix with this, but but this one's okay. Uh, talk to us just a little bit about that and then, uh, and then, of course, finish up on what you're thinking for timing to apply Utricia in. Sure, Darren. Now, 
Yeah, we've done a ton of work with biocompatibility and a lot of folks, you know, you know, just to back up, you know, what is biocompatibility? We're not talking physical compatibility. We're just talking about what can um, nutrition and be mixed with in terms of herbicides, fungicides, insecticides, and does that hinder its, its overall colonization of a plant? And so we went through and tested um, a number of these products to ensure, you know, we want to make sure the viability is there and that farmers are, you know, being able to get the most bang for their buck and not adding a product that will be detriment to nutrition in. And so, you know, we've done a lot of tests with that and, you know, it goes beyond just pH and goes beyond just actives. You know, there's different levels of antimicrobials in a lot of these formulations. And, you know, some cases, you know, it may not make sense, you know, for one product that is technically related to another, but maybe there's a different antimicrobial load in that jug mix. So, those are some of the things we've been learning uh, with the biocompatibility piece, uh, specifically the nutrition and the testing we're doing um, on on the Corteva side of things. All right. When you, you were talking about R1 being a, a timing, and I know a lot of folks will uh, look at just straight up nitrogen applications around that time too. So it, it kind of makes sense to me. This is when all the action's happening in the soybean plant, when it starts to put flowers on and eventually pods. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, at R1, you know, we've only got about 20% of the total nitrogen accumulated in that soybean plant. And by R4, we're at about 50%. So, I mean, if we're, even if we're talking the R3 time, time frame, Darren, you know, we still have well over half of that soybean total nitrogen accumulation to still occur. And, you know, adding nutrition in with an approved paint mix partner um, with, with a fungicide at that time, you know, getting a free ride. And also by spraying it, you know, and, and it uh, essentially uh, colonizing that plant and being there versus a nitrogen application where you might be waiting for a rainfall to incorporate um, or some other products where you want to make sure that gets incorporated into the plant. But once nutrition in is applied, it takes about 10 days to colonize and it's there till finesse. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty interesting product. We've worked with it now for a, a few years. We've been working mainly on corn on our farm, but it's going to be fun to try that on some high yielding soybeans next year. Uh, big thank you to to Will Win with Corteva for talking to us a little bit about your Trisha and I love having that naturals piece in here. Uh, Will, thanks. Uh, really appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again down the road. Yeah, thanks, Darren. Speak of naturals, kind of one of the original naturals for a lot of farmers has been the use of inoculant in soybeans. And I know when we first started with uh, Kevin Matthews here talking about how do we get more nitrogen in the plant, he's like, man, you got to use a high-quality inoculant. Uh, we got Troy Bauer on with us right now with BASF to talk about that just a little bit. Troy, thanks for joining us. You bet. Pleasure to be here today. I love talking about inoculants because it's one of the least expensive inputs that we've got, yet we've had good return on investment on that almost every time we do it. Now, sometimes big returns, sometimes kind of small ones where, oh, yeah, we only gained a bushel. But when you look at the cost of inoculant, that's still a fantastic ROI. Yeah, it's a great ROI. Uh, depending on uh, what type of environment you're going into, uh, typically we'll say uh, uh, at least a three-to-one uh, return on investment. And uh, just as you know, uh, soybeans, uh, they require probably about 60% of their nitrogen comes from that nitrogen-fixing bacteria that we get in the soil uh, that forms that symbiotic relationship. And uh, it does a lot of good for the soybean plant and allows uh, maximum yield potential. You know, we, there's been a lot of work that's been done on inoculants. And I remember when Brad and I were kids, uh, Dad was using a liquid inoculant. And he said, if you open a jug and it smells like manure, that's what it is because the bacteria are dead. <laughs> but he said, if you got one that doesn't smell like that, they're in good shape. And I think about how far we've come just in the packaging that we're putting these products in, the the strains of, of uh, bacteria that we're using now, too. It's, it's really fantastic. 
yeah, you've got to have a high-quality inoculant. That's kind of the way you started out. You want to make sure that you have a, a really high-quality inoculant. Uh, the packaging that we use at BASF is a, uh, a membrane that allows oxygen uh, into the, the rhizobia bacteria so they can survive a, at a very high rate. And uh, in terms of uh, producing a really high-quality inoculant out there, Vault is one of the uh, best in the industry. So uh, you want to make sure you have a, a high dose of uh, rhizobia on the seed so you can maximize your uh, nitrogen fixation. And depending on the environment that you in, especially in the western corn belt, uh, where we don't always produce soybeans every other year, sometimes three, four, five years uh, between soybean crops, Sometimes in a double inoculation practice is really good as well. And we've seen some results where we can get, you know, another three to five bushels per acre just from double inoculation. Yeah, the double inoculation is interesting. And I, I do talk to a lot of high-yielding soybean growers that say, you know what, I'm double inoculating because it's going to help us produce more N. And you look at the price of N, it doesn't take many pounds of N production to pay for that inoculant. But here's the other thing that I've gotten this year, Troy, a lot has been drought. Farmers have said, man, I'm coming out of a drought. And I know going into 2023's growing season, there's a lot of farmers in this boat coming out of a drought. What kind of survival is there in the soil of those native species? I have to imagine it had to hurt them not having enough moisture in the soil. Boy, you bring up a really great point. Uh, rhizobia are really uh, fickle. They don't like high pH. They don't like low pH. They don't like dry conditions, just as you're referring to here. Uh, so I really think that's why it pays oftentimes to uh, go back in and real inoculate, uh, even if it's uh, soybeans every other year. And I think the other thing is, is the strain of uh, rhizobia that you have out there. The strain that we've selected at uh, BASF isn't really one to maximize uh, uh, survival year after year, but it's more about providing the maximum amount of uh, nitrogen for your soybean crop. So you always have to make sure you have adequate rhizobia out there. And through an inoculation uh, practice, that's, that's really the best way to ensure that you're going to have enough. Well, there's certainly a lot that we've learned over the years about inoculants. We've got Troy Bauer on with BASF right now talking inoculant on the show today. And when we think about nitrogen for soybeans, if you're not inoculating those beans, you're missing out on a great opportunity for a fantastic return on investment. Troy, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on the show today. You bet. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a great day. You too. Uh, let's head over to Central Illinois. Got Paul on with a micronutrient question. Paul, how are you doing? Yes, uh, we uh, operate a custom strip tilling business, and uh, just the micronutrient thing comes up a lot. And wondering what uh, thoughts, opinions are on the best way to get those micros incorporated into a a banding uh, or a fertilizer operation. Are whether you... it's like a wolf tracks product or granular or, or what? Are you using liquid or dry with the strip till rigs you're using? Dry. Yep, we do the same thing. So what we've done is we've typically just gotten a blended dry micronutrient product and we have multiple compartments, I mean, in all the different hoppers we've had over the years for strip till. And so we'll run like a blend of P and K in one and then we'll do a micro 
and the other when we choose to do that. We don't go typically with great big rates or anything, uh, but at least we're getting some micronutrients out there. And so that's probably our best piece of advice for you. I mean, you can buy individual micros, but the problem with that is unless they all are very consistent, then as you're driving through the field, the one, I mean, any of those nutrients could settle out or rise up to the top Mm -hmm. or whatever. So that's our biggest fear. But there are plenty of blended dry micro products that you could buy. And, oh, and by when I, run that in a separate, separate compartment still? Uh, you don't necessarily have to, but you do need to look at, uh, so what, whoever your fertilizer supplier is, you want to look at, uh, what, what you need to talk to them about is, okay, if I blend all these, will it stay, will that mix stay through this? So, and I should be more clear too, on the blend, when I say blended micro product, what I really mean is in each pellet, there are all the micros. So you have, um, you don't have to mix your own or anything like that. So uh, if you got more questions on that, Paul, stay tuned uh, or stick around here. We'll be right back. Got to take a quick break. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, insulation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at Pentair.com Hypro. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now... You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. 
Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today talking a little about nitrogen on soybeans and taking your calls and questions. So right before the break, we're talking with Paul out in Illinois about micronutrients in strip-till. And I I just want to restate this because I, I think I did a poor job of explaining what I was trying to say. With strip-till in the past, and we have used micronutrients... And the way that we would recommend micronutrients, if you've got, let's say, for example, like in our strip-till rig in the air cart, we've got two compartments. So in one compartment, we'll put our P and K blend. In the other compartment, we will put micronutrients, and it's one product, but it's got many micronutrients in each pellet. So that way I know that everything should remain fairly consistent out there because what you don't want to happen is let's say I throw some dry boron in there and some dry zinc sulfate and some dry copper sulfate or whatever and all of a sudden all the boron goes out right away and then the copper goes out and then the sink and you've got really you got some major inconsistencies out there so our fear also is that when you're putting on very low rates that hey even if it's 10 feet no zinc pellet drops right there well all of a sudden you got a bunch of crop you got a portion of your crop that's short on that micronutrient or the other or whatever so we just have to be a little bit careful when it comes to dry liquid that's a whole lot easier you can put a bunch of things together you know that every uh, every droplet is probably going to have just a little bit of each micro and 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 primary nutrient in it. So we just have to be real careful with what we're doing with the dries. So anyway, Paul, any other questions that you got there? The the only last one I have is uh, there's some retailers locally that are uh, promoting the Wolf Tracks Dry DDP micronutrient blend okay. that that you know supposedly is small amounts getting on every prill of the potash, map, dap, whatever. Sure. Yep, yep. And so the distribution is supposed to be very good. Just didn't know yeah. if you guys had had any experience with that product. Um, I am familiar with that. They've also had some stuff that was able to go on seed. We are really cautious about doing anything on seed because we've seen germination issues. I'm not saying specifically from their product or anything else. I'm just saying putting any nutrients on the seed scares me, but putting mm-hmm. nu- micronutrients on some of these other dry blends of fertilizer, I, I, I'm fine with that if, if somebody wants to do that. I just, at the end of the day, am always very cost sensitive, and I want to make sure that I'm getting what I'm paying for out there or getting the maximum I can that I'm paying for, and so I don't know what the cost is, what that looks like exactly in your area or anything, but I, I'm just, I, um, I, I guess I'm just kind of explaining how how we've handled this situation on our farm, but that would also be an acceptable way to solve the problem. Okay, sounds right. great. Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks for calling in, Paul. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Bye. Said over uh, again in Illinois, we've got Josh Tooley with us right now at DeKalb Asgro to talk a little about nitrogen and soybeans. Josh, how are you doing? I'm 
doing well. How are you guys? Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. We were talking about nitrogen and soybeans, and, and we've had some discussion around lighter, sandier soils, and I get that. Uh, in Illinois, what, what kind of soils do you work with? you working with some heavier soils, or, or are you kind of in that lighter, sandy stuff too? So I'm uh, in a variation from uh, a heavy silt loam all the way down to uh, pretty sandy, um, loamy type soil, depending on where, where I'm at in the territory. Sure, sure. All right. Uh, when we think about adding nitrogen to soybeans, we've heard a couple of guidelines, uh, 65 bushel, 70 bushel or better. Uh, what do you talk about with your with your growers in Illinois? Yeah, so when we're looking to add um, nitrogen to soybeans, the biggest thing is going to be looking at yield environment. 70 plus is where we start thinking about maybe needing some. Um, the other is going to be what the yield potential is of those genetics, with some of these genetics looking to cap out on yield in that 70 to you know even 80 bushel mark. All right. When you're working with growers on this, uh, I know certainly there's a lot more that goes into raising good soybeans uh, than just nitrogen, but but it is one of the components along the way. How do you determine if N is going to be the right fit for a grower? So for you know my decision making process, it's looking to make sure they've got you know an early planted soybean has a good base fertility with pH NPK, um, and then looking at you know what kind of rainfalls we've had make sure that crop is looking like it has that potential to finish and applied fungicide insecticides things like that and then making that decision in that reproductive stage where we've seen the biggest benefit from nitrogen applications yeah i couldn't agree with you more on uh, a lot of those points there with good base fertility and you're getting optimum weather and all these kinds of things because uh we've seen seen soybeans that guys give up on too early sometimes uh, but then of course we've seen a lot of times where it starts off great and and weather turns against us you don't want to throw any good money after bad uh, you, you mentioned we get into the reproductive stages and and that's a tough one on soybeans to really guess uh, other than you can tell it's got a great looking plant, but how, how many flowers it's going to hold and all those kinds of things. So uh, it's kind of a fun deal. Do you look for rotation too, where guys have been corn for a couple of years or more going back to soybeans or, or are you doing this in a corn soybean rotation? Generally a corn soybean rotation. Um, we don't have a lot of corn on corn acres in my area, but um, typically if there was corn on corn fall by soybeans, and we're looking high yield, I would maybe start to think about that being a higher case to go with some nitrogen. Sure, sure. Now, one thing, too, you got uh, working in your favor here, another year down the road here with Extend Flex, we're, we're seeing big upgrades in terms of yield and performance overall. What are you seeing in, in Illinois and the genetics you're working with? We're having a phenomenal year for our new Extend Flex class, um, really driving home some big yields, um, especially in our mid to late group threes. Really excited to see those in a high management situation, you know, pretty average beans in the area, but some of our plots, they're driving with the new genetics into the 80s, 90s, even cresting 100 in some, you know, small areas. So 
really excited to see these new genetics hit uh, farmers' fields. Yeah, for me, it's kind of fun seeing seeing new traits coming out, and and I know we got to start start from scratch a little bit. We've we've got that high potential for yield, but we're building all those defensive characteristics that we're looking for too. But but yeah, you get a, a few years into it like we are now, and you kind of have the best of everything. So, uh, well, Josh, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on, talking a little about in, talking a little about uh, about soybeans in general. Uh, good luck to you here the rest of harvest. Thank you. You guys too. Brian, a lot of numbers thrown out here. 70 bushel uh, plus seems to be kind of that sweet spot, but it really depends on mineralization, what you got for organic sure. matter, uh, just, just yep. a lot of different things to, to figure out exactly how many pounds you need. But once you start getting high-yielding beans, you got to consider N, too, if you got everything else in place. Yeah, and I still come back to you can throw all this yield talk and organic matter talk out a little bit if you've had flooding or you haven't planted soybeans in that field for a long time. So when our dad first came to South Dakota, and that was 1969, there were almost no soybeans raised here. Even in 1984, he was involved with the South Dakota Soybean Association. And I just remember this for whatever reason, but in 1984, we only had 400,000 acres in our whole state. That's it. Today, there are 5 million acres in our state. So anyway, where, where I'm going with this is, it's a great learning opportunity when there haven't been beans in the field before, or maybe it's been quite a few years. I, I mean, we, we went through all that back in the 80s uh, on the farm when, when we were growing up, and I can just tell you, when we would put on 100 pounds of nitrogen up front, we were gaining 10 bushels. So, yeah, if you're planting soybeans every other year, every third year, whatever, you're not going to gain that much. Inoculant's going to help you, and, and that's probably good enough. And maybe you want to go to double inoculation, fine. But I'm just saying, if you've been out of soybeans for five years or more, I'd probably put, I would seriously consider putting on, I would put at least 50 pounds on, and I might even consider putting 100 pounds on. Soybeans can be that responsive. So that's the one thing. Then separate from that, yeah, if you've got high-yielding beans or if you've got low organic matter, and especially both, that's where nitrogen can pay as well. And I'll say it one more time. The, the best timing, if you can get the nitrogen into the plant quickly, is it flowering? But boy, if you're really short, haven't had beans there in a long time, I'd probably just put the nitrogen on up front. So nitrogen is tremendously important for soybeans. All right, stay tuned. We're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag next. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com.
Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. What does winter have in store? I'm Greg Souter with 360 Yield Center. We don't know what's gonna happen in three days and certainly not in three months. So there's no way of knowing what's gonna happen to the nitrogen we applied this fall. But by moving your application to spring with the 360 bandits on your planter, you know your nitrogen will be there when the plant needs it. And with the split application with 360 wide drop, you can add just what the plant needs to finish strong. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact Emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. It's the mailbag, the mighty mailbag, ask the questions with glee. It's the mailbag, the mighty mailbag, with Brian and Darren Hefty. Oh, I miss Bob. That's a great song. I, I love it. Uh, okay, we are in the mailbag time here on Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Oh, hey, let me, let me just throw this out, too, because a lot of people listening probably don't know who you're talking about. That was our former Ag PhD producer, Bob Rasmussen. Passed away of a heart attack at age 41. Was he 41? Yeah, I think This so. is probably, I don't know, what is it now, seven years ago? It's yeah. quite a while ago. So, what? I mean, first of all, yeah, we really appreciate it, Bob, and do miss him. Secondly, please get yourself checked out, okay? Check yourself out. I'm, I'm, I, I'm thinking about this in part because I'm going for my annual physical on Thursday, uh, before the radio show, so I'll be here for radio. So keep nothing's the stress, wrong. keep the stress level down <laughs> right. on Brian for the next few days. Right, but nothing's wrong. But it's just you got to get checked out, even if nothing is wrong, and you feel perfectly fantastic. Well, and, and here we go. We got a great opportunity. We're just wrapping up harvest. Uh, a lot of a lot of our listeners, you're probably in the same boat. You're you're nearing the end here, and then you hit those winter months. Great time. Schedule it during that time each year. Make sure you're in good shape heading into the next season. All right, uh, let's dive into the first mailbag question here. This one comes in from Caleb over in Wisconsin. He said, guys, I'm getting ready to start strip tilling, and I want to run some calcium in the strip, pell lime and gypsum. Is there anything I risk tying up by having the calcium in closer proximity? Yep. Uh, wondering about phosphate especially because yep. I may want to put that on in the strip also. Yep. Uh, just don't want to cause more harm than good. Yeah, so you just have to go with really low rates. 
when we talk about broadcast applications of Lime, for example, or even gypsum, it can be pretty high. It can be in the, oh, we're going to put tons on. But you think about it, how much of that actually ends up down in your root zone? It's pretty small, not a lot of pounds. Well, all of a sudden, if you're targeting it and you're putting it all down in the root zone in that strip, um, you do not need very much. So I'd way rather have you underdo it than overdo it, because if you overdo it, you may do yourself more harm than good. I don't, what are we trying to accomplish there anyway, does he say? Doesn't say. Okay. So, yeah, just use it in moderation. Use the calcium in moderation. Yes. Okay. Uh, get this one from Brandon, and he, his subject is leaving dry fertilizer on top over the winter. Yeah. Brandon says, all right, guys, all I am located in south-central Minnesota. My CECs between 19 and 28. Yep. So a heavy soil. Yep. Said, I'm wondering a couple things here. First of all, uh, I'm wondering if just putting down anhydrous, knifing that in, is yep. enough tillage behind a soybean crop? First question. Uh, don't, you don't need sure. any tillage. Right. I, I, so, yes, the answer is yes. Okay. Then, also wondering if I can apply dry fertilizer like DAP, potash, and ammonium sulfate with that on top. I would okay. be cultivating in front of the planter in the spring. Will I lose any of the nitrogen and sulfur with AMS laying on top? Probably not. With only minimal tillage from the anhydrous bar. If I just put that on, then I run the anhydrous bar through. Yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about your ammonium sulfate. That's going to move down through the soil when you get rainfall. Um, is it possible that a little bit of the nitrogen could go up in the air? It's possible, but when you put ammonium sulfate out, you're only putting like 20 pounds out anyway. I, I mean, on our farm, we're putting 200 pounds of AMS out, so we got roughly 40 pounds of nitrogen there. A lot of that nitrogen is going to get tied up in the residue in the real short term anyway. So to think that we're going to lose any, could I lose three pounds or so? It's possible, uh, but I'm not that worried about that. Now, the P and the K, they don't leach down, at least in our heavy soils with as little rainfall as we get in this part of the country, and especially the phosphorus. That's not going anywhere. So if you're going to do light tillage in the spring, keep in mind that fertilizer, just like any herbicides you're putting on, they'll only go in about half the depth roughly of, of your tillage. So if you're tilling at four inches deep, that means the fertilizer is then at two inches deep, which isn't terrible. That, that That's not bad. It's down in the ground a little bit. But I will say if if this is like literally all you did, then eventually you're going to have nutrient stratification and all your fertility will be in the top two inches. And that's not great. So you could do this for you know, several years, but just every once in a while, I would want to do at least some deep tillage, even if it's only once every 10 years, do something to get that fertilizer down, unless you want to place it deeper. So that's part of why a lot of guys talk about, okay, well, how about if just once every four years, I strip till in the field and I place all my fertilizer deep. Great. Now you've totally solved the problem. You don't ever have to do moldboard plowing or deep ripping or anything else if you don't want to. Right. Thanks for the question. I got this one from Carolyn. She said, I was watching your uh, one of your videos about what's in a bushel. Oats are not 32 pounds per bushel. They're 34. Carolyn, that's 32. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Now, there could be some different test weights and that kind of thing in oats and so forth. But a standard oats bushel is 32 pounds. So I'm not I guess I'm not sure. Have you ever heard of yeah. 34, Brian? No, that's why when you said that, I'm like, I don't think that 
it's 34. I'm like, we've always known it's 32. So now here, here's the whole thing. Um, well, we, we look at what will fit the, the way a lot of these things used to be done is it was based on volume. And so you would take a bushel basket. And I just remember growing up, we had a bushel basket. It was tin. And so if you have that and you can get 34 pounds in there, I understand that's great heavy test weight oats. But the problem is today, everything is bought and sold at grain elevators by the pound. So it's, we, they ultimately don't care what your bushel technically weighs. They're just going to say, okay, for every 32 pounds, we're going to count that as a bushel. So, as an example, too, like corn is 56 pounds. Well, what would we like for test weight? Honestly, I'd like 60 plus pound test weight. So technically, do I, I, that means that I then have a bushel of corn weighing 60 pounds or more, but still when it's bought and sold, it's bought at and sold at every 56 pounds. Okay, well, thanks for the feedback, Carolyn. Uh, thanks for checking out our program. We really appreciate that. I get this one from Tom over in Michigan, and he said, "Guys, you uh, got a question on sulfur. I heard you. I heard one of your uh, shows. You were talking about applying sulfur on soils with high calcium levels to basically make your own gypsum to improve soil permeability. If I got that right, uh, I." I'm not sure which podcast or which show that was on recently. I just wonder if you could give me a heads up on that or or maybe just explain about using sulfur on high calcium soils. Okay. Um, the calcium is used to improve permeability. Adding sulfur is not going to improve the permeability of the soil. However, with sulfur, you can strip a lot of other nutrients out. And so a lot of times, too, what happens in high calcium soils is we've got high pH. Well, if you get sulfur out there, that can, at least short term, acidify things a little bit. So that's part of why a lot of people talk about using acid fertilizers. It's kind of trying to replicate the same thing that the plant does with its roots. It kicks out acid into the soil to, or or chelating agents, a lot of people will call them, to try to make nutrients that are unavailable um, into an available form. Um, so, and I don't know what the exact situation was, why we said add sulfur to a high calcium soil. It just, it, it depends on what else is out there. Okay. But so I, you show me a soil test or, or maybe if we, if you told us what episode it was, we could go back to, all right, what was the specific situation there? But yeah, in terms of permeability, we talk about just calcium and we're talking about that because of the comparison between calcium and magnesium. So a soil is usually going to have a lot of calcium or a lot of magnesium. Some soils have quite a bit of both, but we look at the ratio or the percentage there in the base saturation test. If your magnesium gets up really high, what happens is magnesium is a, is really small. Calcium is really big in comparison. And so if you get a whole bunch of magnesium there, then there aren't as many good air pockets and now all of a sudden your roots kind of get choked out. They don't have air. We need that. And so that's what we talk about. Calcium is tremendously important for that overall soil permeability. We want air moving through in addition to water moving through. And then you have a more healthy soil. Hey, Brian, uh, Cindy, quick question. So what form of nitrogen do you use on beans? Do you have a favorite? 
A lot of times we like ammonium sulfate because it's kind of controlled release. It'll release over 30 to 60 days, so that's great. It's probably our favorite, but we've done liquid 28%, urea, anhydrous. We've done them all. Yep. If you're doing some foliar stuff, you just can't use a super high rate uh, all at once or anything like that. Nor do you no, need No, liquid it. urea we've done. Foliar is probably our favorite, but yeah. It, yeah, low biorat stuff. Yes. Yep. Thanks for the question, Cindy. Thanks to you for listening today. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.